if you just indulge your senses, try to be present in the world instead of being up in your head, if you just have the knowledge that you can acknowledge a thought that may be overwhelming you and just go, that is not a fact. It's not something that I'm feeling. It's just a conversation my brain is trying to tell me that's coming from some kind of physical place. You can put that to the side and that saves you in the moment. Mm -hmm. And these Mm -hmm. are the kind of basic tools that I think every human on earth should know. Because I'm someone that is just at the absolute mercy of my mind. I bolt awake with anxiety at 4 a.m. just going like, okay, the distractions of the day over. I try not to think about things. And then you have that moment at night where the world falls away and without the distractions or anything, there's this moment where it's just you and whatever you've been pushing to the back of your mind and suddenly it goes, hi, I want to talk to you right now. And it's just terrifying. This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm pretty intense. Today on the show is Daniel Howell. He's a comedian, best-selling author, and YouTube sensation. The the issue that he's facing with everyone now is depression. Uh, So he's writing a book right now. As he says, it's the book that he wished he had when he was going through depression. So we just kind of go into all the aspects of it, to uh, living a false reality, to dealing with anxiety, to simple tricks and how to get out of that space. I, I feel like for anyone out there, and I know there's so many that suffer from depression and from anxiety. So I, I hope that you take a lot from this interview. Uh, I did. And I really enjoyed Daniel. He's a, such a sweet British guy. World of technology, a world you know so Honestly, well, my friend. And yet I hate it. Like this pandemic, lovely. I'm looking forward to seeing my friends and family hugging everyone again. I just want these Zoom things to be over. Really? <laughs> Oh, like, oh my God, like it's kind of good being able to wear sweatpants from the waist down sometimes, but also it's just the technology thing. People are like, have you changed the this to the this and got the cable? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, let me just walk into a room and sit down. It is true. I mean, I do love that sort of ease of like, yes, I'm wearing leggings underneath this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. But it is, it is, uh, it, it's like the human connection. I just recently got, went and did uh, my first like appearance gig because mm-hmm. after retiring from racing, I kind of do one-off appearances. Yeah. Anyway, it didn't even matter what convention it was. I didn't care. I was like, look at everybody. <laughs> like, yeah, here I am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some lady took her mask off. She's like, okay, don't breathe. And I'm like, I'm going to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, it, it's, it's, it's definitely, it has its perks. I feel like it's like, we have an For opportunity sure. to incorporate all of the best things about what mm-hmm. we had to go through all yes. the shit. And then pair that up with the stuff that we used to do that we miss and took for granted. Um, Absolutely. So like, what's that look like when I say that are things going off in your head? Like, Oh, I can't wait to do this. And I never want to do this again. Oh yeah. I mean, everyone's like, I'm never going to another meeting as long as I live, because if you can just do a couple of these to avoid going across town in some traffic, sometimes it's like, we don't need to do that to each other. We don't need to spend our whole lives in cars for no reason. If we don't need to sweatpants at home, that's pretty good. But also sometimes I feel like I need a bit of routine because I'm someone in the work from home lifestyle. If I can just spend all day in pajamas, I might get nothing done. So a little bit of routine is nice every now and then, as long as you're allowed a bit of me time as well. And I'm like the biggest introvert in the entire world. I love to complain about how awkward I am and how I don't like doing anything, but I'm like, I miss my friends. I just want to speak to someone. I've had enough time talking to these house plants. I'm going a bit mad. <laughs> Now, are you like a full on introvert as in you have to have because uh, I look at like introversion, introversion and extroversion as being like what kind of fuels you and what drains you. So yeah, I would exactly call that. myself an introvert as well because I don't mm-hmm. really like but, but my introvert is like, I just don't like small talk. So if I can, I can sit with a couple of people and if it's a good deep conversation, I literally get energy. Right. That's how I actually mm-hmm. podcasts feel to me. Cause 
we're not talking about, I mean, we might spend a couple minutes talking about some surface level stuff, but we're going to get into it. And so I get, get energized it. by that, but like small talk and like surface level oh, stuff. God, no, like going around a party and just meeting loads of people for 30 seconds. I need like a three week coma just to get over that. <laughs> so are you, so do you feel like you, I mean, I need a little bit of alone time, but mostly I just yeah. need time where I can kind of like, I don't know. It just feels stuff true to my nature, which is like anything that yeah. involves like truth, learning, expansion, growing. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like you need a lot of alone time or just a little with deep conversation? I feel like it depends how intense the weekend has been. Cause sometimes I look forward to a weekend where I'm hanging out with friends and then I will literally get to Monday and be like, wow, I need another weekend to get over that weekend just because I feel so drained. No offense to my friends, lovely friends. Had a great time hanging out with you. Great birthday. But then I'm like, I just need a whole day where nobody looks at me. Nobody talks about me. <laughs> I just need to be locked in a box. And then I'll slowly have the courage to be like, yeah, now I'm ready to have a social connection again. So I'm uh, yeah, pretty extreme on the spectrum, I'd say. Does... um looking at a camera or a camera looking at you and recording Mm. things still qualify as alone time or does that not? Absolutely not. I think that lots of people probably relate to this, which is all this Zoom stuff. It's way more emotionally draining than even a real life conversation is because especially just seeing that yourself is being seen, it has this whole other layer of like emotional energy that it's sapping away from you. If you're in a board meeting, you could sit on a table at the end and then a little chair in the corner and think, oh, these other people are having a conversation. Whereas in a situation like this, it's like I'm being seen by everybody all the time. And the moment you click go, it's like, okay, I'm on. And then when it's off, you just go, (gasps) I can finally rest. So yeah, it's it's easy. It's weird because it's like simultaneously easier and somehow really draining at the same time. Yeah. Do you think it's, I mean, like it could just be from that small little feature, like the fact that I can kind of see myself, like I am looking Mm -hmm. at you, but my screen, my, you know, I'm over here. I'm in the corner. Do you think that's all it is? Do you think that's part, that's like the big, Oh yeah. Like that's the, I think like philosophically and psychologically, it's really profound to be confronted with yourself and just to be aware that you're there. Like when you are just talking to someone, you're just really thinking about the other person and what's yeah. coming out of your mouth. But if you're like, oh my God, what, what are my mannerisms? Am I doing something weird? How am I sitting? What's my posture? Oh no, people are looking at me. What's my resting face like? Do I look sad? Do I look bitchy? <laughs> <laughs> what's going on? We don't need that. Humanity is already stressful it's, enough. It's like, it's like, um, it's uh, bringing up insecurities probably really, right? Oh yeah. Like and we don't need that. <laughs> and even though we're, you know, sweatpants from here down and we're not worried about that mm-hmm. part of us, but we're, we're, we're thinking about like how our face moves and the things that we're doing. Maybe, I mean, I do zo- so much Zoom stuff. Maybe Zoom needs to come up with a, like a, like a, a feature where you cannot be featured. <laughs> Oh, I'd love God. That would just be the best day of my life. That's what I needed a year ago. It's too late now. I've been traumatized by it. <laughs> oh my God. When did you get so funny? Like, how did you, I mean, you're stuff, you're so funny and witty. Like, where did that come from? Yeah. I mean, my humor is just me beating myself up, <laughs> which comes from, and I think, I don't know, it, it's a bit of, it's one of those things where everyone has this kind of wall of humor that they build up and really it's a defense mechanism. It's like, I'm gonna make that joke about myself first, maybe so that other people don't see the opening and go there either. And that's very much like, I will break the ice in the room by breaking the ice of you know whatever personal trauma I think it's okay to laugh at two weeks after it's happened. And that's just how I've gotten through life. So it's like very second nature for me to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm an idiot sometimes. And I'm just going to tell you the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. And if that helps other people relax in a way that, you know, for me, socially awkward introvert helps me relax, feel less intense about a situation. It's okay. But then there is the element of like, at some point, are you looking after yourself? Are you making all these jokes at your own expense? And maybe you're kind of just revealing an issue that you're not dealing with. And that has been for me for the last four or five years of my career, that conversation of, oh, right, so I've just been this clown my whole life, but then all of a sudden now I'm kind of talking more seriously about mental health. I'm writing this book about mental health. And this book isn't a silly book. It's not all jokes and stupid, sure. It's got me in it. It's got humor in it to make it fun and enjoyable. But at the end of the day, it's a serious topic. And for each of us, there is that point at which you have to kind of get serious and go, what might be behind that joke? 
That's so true. There are mm-hmm. so many people. Oh my God. I love that you're drinking water out of a wine glass. That's fantastic. I Okay. Yeah. I mean, I said I was clumsy. <laughs> I have smashed every single glass in my house apart from wine glass. So now I just look like the bougiest guy. This could be vodka. You mean, you so have no not, idea. That's but, true. Um, that's true. It is a little late. Are you in my England? lifestyle? I'm in England. Yeah. Uh, I'm about to move house and my life is falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just hoping that lots of things are coming up. I'm ready for COVID to be over. I'm ready to move house. I've got this book coming out. I think a lot of people around the world are kind of at the end of their tether. And it's like, we need a bit of hope. We need to see some direction and forward momentum here. I don't know what England's seeing. And I know that shit's been a little sideways, and especially mm. in that, you know, Europe and England. Um, <clears throat> but things in the last like week have come to life. Like people yeah, are yeah. doing everything, doing all the things. And I'm like, what, what? This is so exciting. Um, but you're, I will say that your plant looks really healthy and plants can kind of feel the vibe. Plants can, have you ever heard, like yeah. there's plant studies, there's like the rice study. There's mm. like all these things where you like talk well to things and the energy and the frequency and the music in the room. And then yeah. the plants can like tap into the vibes. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've had nothing going on in my life for a year other than trying to maintain a plant. And as you can see, <laughs> it's I've, tried to ro- I've tried to rotate it away from the crispy side just to keep <laughs> up appearances. Because I'm like, if, if we're all locked down and I can't even keep a, a fern alive, what the hell am I doing with my life? So this is me trying to be like, right, right, put it on the green side. Everything's okay. I've got no my one life sees together. The brown, no one sees the brown. Exactly. Um, it, it's cymatics. I was just watching a video on Instagram the other day, and I've seen many of them, but have you ever heard of cymatics? So it's like the uh, sound yeah. paired with like sand and you can kind of see the, the shapes that it makes. And it was this mm-hmm. cool, like five minute video and it was using water and it was using sand and it was using all kinds of different um, textures to show. Uh, it even had like a stream of water with like a drum and it'd show like how the, how the water streaming down would, yeah. you know, swirl. And I'm like, vibrations of the universe. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like if that doesn't show, that we don't look at ourselves potentially the right way. I don't yep. know what else does. Like we, that's all we are. It's like energy and frequency. Like, I mean, even they said in the old biblical stuff, like in the beginning was the word, right? It's sound. Exactly. Frequency. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra, one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12 ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. I mean, it just, what I've realized from writing this book about mental health is that humans, we're really not that complicated. We like to think of ourselves as these magical, mysterious things. We're just complicated plants. We need light. We need water. We need oxygen. We're very connected to nature and our, you know, our thoughts and feelings and emotions, they don't come from this ephemeral place where we have no control over how we think and feel. Mm. They're just brains reacting to signals from our bodies. You know, anxiety is just our body trying to protect ourselves from a dangerous situation. And yet how it manifests in our modern brains is this weird, you know, terror about a social situation you can't quite put your finger on. But when you break it down and go, hey, wait a minute, mental health isn't this thing that controls my life that I was born with. It's like, actually, we're all just people and machines and bodies and biological things. And we can just do things that change how we think and feel. And for me, as someone that has really just struggled a lot of my life with mental health, thinking I'm just broken, I was built that way. Sometimes I just feel bad and there's nothing I can do about it. That's wrong. (laughs) There's something you can do. That is like, I'm that first off, congrats, like well freaking done because that, 
especially coming from a place where, you know, anxiety and not being able to get out of it and depression and, you know, it's, you know, it's easier. That's kind of like the throwaway way to say it's easier to sort of blame a disease. Um, but it's like, I understand that sometimes you're stuck in a cage and like you need things mm-hmm. like antidepressants and therapy and things like that. And like to kind of help you yeah, yeah. free, but to get to a place where you recognize that you are in control of this and that the mind is kind of like the secondary passenger and you mm-hmm. need to retrain it. I mean, it's, it's a lot of times I've done a lot of this stuff too, with different aspects, not necessarily depression or anxiety, but other yeah. aspects of my life of patterns that would show up and and I end up Absolutely. realizing, holy crap, this is my six-year-old self. <laughs> yeah, those profound therapy moments. You're like, I'm not that cliche, damn it. I am that cliche. I'm damn stuck it. in that we moment are. my fifth birthday party. It's a human experience. And this is like a lot of people, they have this idea that mental health is just for people that have crippling anxiety or people that are like mm-hmm. suicidally depressed and they have a medical problem. But mental health is just how you think and feel at any given moment. And it's something that all humans have. So people go, I don't need therapy. I don't need to read a book about mental health because I'm fine. And it's like, yeah, but how stressed are you? How much do you worry in a day? What is your mindset that completely controls your outlook on the world from how you perform in your career, how you deal with your relationships? And most importantly, on a day-to-day level, how do you talk back to the own voice in your head? Because for me, you know, my experiences in life, I went through a lot of bullying when I was a child. I had a very upsetting time for the first 18 years. It built me to be this very cynical, defensive person. And my first instinct, the first voice that would pop up was always that self-sabotage, self-doubt. And that's not the truth. And what's so important is being able to stop, like look in the reflection of what's really going on and think, is this the truth or actually am I kind of sabotaging myself in this way? And it's something that every single human on earth goes through, but most people go through their entire lives without questioning it. Yeah. I feel like people might be hearing, and especially if someone is kind of stuck in that spot where they're like, no, 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 no. Like this is a disease. I'll have this forever. And this is just something I have to deal with or something like, um, you don't get it it's a lot worse for me, right? I can imagine if someone is listening that isn't able to hear how much accountability they can and should be taking for their life, they might be thinking, you don't have it as bad as I do. So I think it's probably uh, important to uh, explain and unpack like what Mm. depression looked like for you for someone to go, oh, he was there. Definitely. I can really, "Hmm, maybe I can do this. Exactly. And that was me. I just, I I felt like some days I would wake up and I would be in this like deep depression. I'd be like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to lie face down on the floor. And I would tell myself, this is just a bad day. It's a write-off. Like the whole day is gone. And unfortunately that's not true because there is always something you can choose to do to change your environment, your way of thinking, Mm -hmm. what you're doing, why that can snap you out of it. And I don't, resent myself for that because that kind of procrastination of going like this is too hard to deal with it comes out of a place of fear which is completely understandable because mm-hmm. it's it's terrible if you if you have awful anxiety if you are really stressed if you are seriously depressed maybe you're grieving or something like that it's horrible to go through mm-hmm. so of course you want to tell yourself like i'm i'm i just want to give up and i just want to be defeated and so many people are at different points and everything helps. So for some people, they need the medication to give them that strong foundation so they can then make changes to their lifestyle. Cause some, and this was, this yeah. is me, you know, I've been on antidepressants and there was a period of my life where, you know, I couldn't snap myself out of it or readjust my mindset or change my lifestyle to be better for my mental health. I couldn't get out of bed. I needed the antidepressants to stabilize my mood. Yeah. There were points where I couldn't have these conversations with myself because I didn't have the self-awareness or the perspective to realize how toxic my self-perception was until I spoke to a therapist and she was like, boy, you're crazy. <laughs> this is a, uh, you know, what you're saying right now, it's not true. You are, you, you just have this awful perspective of yourself and not only is it making you sad, but it's stopping you from growing as a person because you're just holding yourself back out of fear and you can't stay trapped there. So for so many different people, this is the thing, there's all the knowledge out there 
And when it comes to mental health, there's so much misunderstanding. It's like, is it a medication thing? Is it a therapy thing? Is it just a, you know, knowledge and lifestyle changes? And it's like, it can be all of that. We're all built differently. You have to see what works for you. But the most important thing is you can't just let life go by without trying to make it better. Because when you make that change and you become healthier and happier, everything in your life just multiplies. What, like what things fell away that you loved, things like that? Mm. Like what did, you know, what did your friendships look like? Like what does paint me a picture of kind of like, you know, the depths of depression? For me, it was that I just gradually sunk into this place where it was like a negative spiral of momentum where I was just being weighed down in the sludge. And it's like all the color drained away from my life. It wasn't, you know, a lot of people think depression is sadness or it's a lot of crying. It wasn't that I was crying. It's that I barely felt anything at all. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to eat. Someone would say, oh my God, your Game of Thrones is on this weekend. Aren't you excited? And I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not excited for anything at all. And it was that real, just, it felt like such an effort to do anything. I felt paralyzed. My friends were just like, I don't even see, you know, your personality in you anymore. You just seem like this passive specter haunting the corner of this room, just sat there. And it took a whole trifecta of starting with a bit of medication, going to a therapist to reassess, you know, my life. How did I get here? What's my mindset? How do I talk to myself? And then looking at my lifestyle and going like, you know, I didn't know any of this, but it turns out basically every decision I was making in my lifestyle day to day was the total opposite of what's conducive to good mental health. (laughs) And I think, you know, that's the thing where lifestyle changes, they just build up that foundation where if you're getting good sleep, if you've got support from people in your social life, if you're getting a decent amount of movement, if you're eating things that make you feel good, this is all going to give you that point where if you hit a crisis in your life that may impact how you feel, you're not going to fall as far. Whereas for some people, they might think, I've never had a mental health problem in my life. But if they haven't gotten this foundation, when they crash, they might crash all the way down, which is why even if someone doesn't think they want to read a mental health book because they're not there yet, you want to know this stuff for the time that you might be because Mm -hmm. I wasn't prepared and I just, you know, sunk all the way to the floor. Mm -hmm. Well, what you put perception on, you get more and more of. So you can be kind of frustrated with yourself for 25 years of thinking a certain way, but you also became empowered to like put your perception on something else and get more of that too. Um, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, the empowerment. Like I, someone asked me the other day, what are you most proud of? And I was like, accountability. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. Like accountability, because yeah. I think I can't think of one area of life that accountability is not one of the most, not really one of the most important things that you can do. What if like, you know, I mean, I feel like if, you know, everybody has someone that they know it suffers and um, <clears throat> that could use some help like, as a friend, what can you do? Like, did anything feel, is it just a matter of being with the person, getting help, mm-hmm. pushing them? If someone around you is depressed and you know it, what is the most helpful thing for someone to do that you can, that, that works or at least well, work for you? Mental health. Yeah. It's the silent killer because you don't know what someone's going through in their head. Right. You can have these comedians that are performing on a stage. Everyone's laughing. People look to my career and they're like, Dan's great. I was like, no, I was, it was terrible. It was the worst <laughs> time of my life. Mm. And that can be anyone, you know, at any point on any level. And it's that yeah. thing where you have to go, how are you doing? And then you have to ask again, like, no, no, how are you really doing? Because people, they don't want to, they feel like they don't want to burden you. They feel like they don't want to be judged. They don't want to feel vulnerable. But the truth is we all go through the same things. Our human experience is universal. If you open up to someone, they're going to be like, me too, probably. Or they'll be like, wow, well, I want to be here for you. Thank you for sharing that with me. Mm -hmm. So firstly, it's important to just cut through the the barrier that all of humanity has socially with wanting to appear vulnerable and asking for help mm-hmm. and then for sometimes you know when i was feeling really bad sometimes a friend couldn't do something for me and that was frustrating for them if they were like i want to help i want to i want to fix you i want to make you better and it's like actually you know right now just being here 
is the best thing that you can do. Because when it comes to mental health, out of any lifestyle change, anything you can learn in therapy, anything scientific, the most profound way of supporting yourself emotionally is just feeling a connection to others. And hey, I, I'm the introvert guy. I don't want to say this. <laughs> you know, I'm going to complain about how exhausting I find it. But just feeling like even to one person that you are seen, that so you have been acknowledged for what you're going through, and that you're not just not alone with your thoughts can be the thing that is between someone and oblivion. Because it's when people feel like they are alone, they're struggling by themselves, and they are trapped in a situation that the worst things can happen. So just having one person mm-hmm just being there can literally be a lifeline. Yeah. They say that one of the most important ways to create connection is to meet someone where they're at. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just being with them. I think that we mess that up, right? So many, I'm, I have messed that up a hundred million times where I'm kind of that fix it person. Like I err on that sort of codependent, <laughs> yes, like how can I abandon myself to fix you? Um, yeah. but I, you know, I, you know, always wanted to go in and be like, okay, what can we do and what's next? And, you know, I've been learning over time how important it is to just really be with the person or be with, yep. be, be there and meet them where they're at and really, you know, <clears throat> create some sort of relationship and empathy with, with the feelings that they're, that they're having. Cause sometimes you can't fix someone instantly and they just need that support. And they may not even tell you that they're grateful at the time, but yeah. maybe when they've had this, the time and the space that they need, they'll be like, that really meant a lot to me that you showed up when I needed you. Yeah you're the, you're, you're the YouTube guy, you know, you have a huge following. You're so funny. I mean, first off, I'm super curious who does the edits because your videos are so like they cut away to moments and you must do a bunch of like, you must spend a lot of time, not only recording the video itself, like on camera, but then the cutaways that you go to and like, who does that? It's so crafty. I'm starting with the fun stuff, but um, yeah. and then get into kind of what that led to. But I mean, what the heck? It's amazing. It's something that I had to teach myself <laughs> how to do. And the things I'm a control freak. I could never, if something was so important to me, I don't let someone else mess it up. What I want to <laughs> do is to do everyone's job myself and then just be really resentful that I feel like I'm getting no help. It's like, oh, can we help you? And I'm like, no, no, no. If you want something doing right, you have to do it yourself. And how do you feel about that? I hate everyone. That, yeah. That's me down to a T. But I wasn't always, it, it wasn't very slick. The thing with me is I started just doing these funny videos on the internet as a hobby when I was 18. And it was just me on my little laptop Googling, how do I cut clip together? And it was so bad. It was so bad. Even It was, I was your trying best, my best then though, but it was your best then. But all of it is just still there on the internet because I got mm. these followers and they were like, oh, no, 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 no. That old stuff you did is so funny because it's so bad. You cannot take that away from us. And I'm like, can I just hide my worst stuff so I look really cool? And they're like, no, 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 you can't. This is your thing, Dan. You just have to embarrass yourself forever. So my whole journey from being an 18-year-old with no plan, just doing it to make fun, and it was awful, all the way up to what I'm doing 10 years later, it's just crazy that my whole journey, not just as someone, you know, being creative, learning to edit, filming and writing or whatever. But as a person, my life in real time from dropping out of college to moving to London to where I am today, it's all just there out in the world, which is a very surreal experience for how I perceive myself, which I feel like a lot of other people don't get. Mm, You mean because you're you're introverted, yet it's like out there and on the internet and a big deal. people on social media with their comments, they tell you how they perceive you. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you may not realize about yourself. And for me, particularly with my mental health journey, that was one of the most profound things because I've always just had my own view of the world, which comes from that very dark, cynical, self-defensive place where I'm always expecting the worst from everyone. Mm. And even before I started talking about mental health in what I did on the internet, people will go, hey, this funny video that you made, Mm. it really made me feel better on this Mm. terrible day. And I was going through something and you cheered me up. And I just want to say thank you for that. And I, I was literally not used to having what was actually just a fair view of who I was as a person. It wasn't even endless compliments from people. It was just people just saying, Hey, I see you for who you actually are. Mm. Here you go, Dan. And I'm like, this is news to me. Mm. (laughs) So it's 
only because my career and social media and comments from people and meeting for, you know, I'd go on tour and people would open up to me about these things. They'd be like, oh, this is how something you talked about helped me. You talked about mental health. And then, you know, I've gone on this whole journey. It's only because of what that opportunity has given me for self-reflection that I was able to grow. If I'm imagining a universe where Mm -hmm. I didn't have this, I'd probably be stuck in the pit. Well, the first thing that came to mind is vulnerability. Like you're like, can't I just take Mm. down the stuff? So like, first off you were vulnerable, but then second off, it makes me think of something that you said earlier, how being like human being is kind of simple. Like it's actually quite simple. And the thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that, is that very concept that being a human being is really simple or being, being like being a human is simple, but the experience is complicated because everything, really everything in our reality, which you just said is showing us who we are. So people are out there saying, I see you, Dan, you're funny. I see you, you're this, you're this, you're that. And it's all information about you. But yet the complicated part about being a human is that we can't see ourselves. We literally can't see ourselves. So everything in our reality is information about who we are. And so it can be direct, like, Dan, you're this, but it can also just, it can also be something like you observe a situation and you judge it or you're triggered by it. That's also just information about you. If you judge something, you probably would never let yourself do it, which is why you're judging it. If you're triggered, it's probably because you've got some unhealed aspect of from childhood that needs to be fixed. And so it's like, yes, it's like, it's simple, but it's complicated because we can't see ourselves. It's so difficult. And that's why like the book that I wrote is separated into three parts because I was like how do you even write a book about mental health because it's just such a huge topic yeah and I was like what we need to do is to break it into the experiences you can have at different stages and when you might need the information so the first part is what can you do if you need an immediate change because you're overwhelmed Mm -hmm. in a situation so it's not about how do I unpack my psychological makeup and trauma or how do I change my lifestyle it's like if I feel like I'm having a panic attack if I feel like I'm too stressed if I am having one of those moments where I'm stuck up in my head Mm -hmm. because I'm fixated on something I'm worrying about or this intrusive thought came in and I can't, how do I snap myself out of it? And one of the most profound things is just the concept of mindfulness, realizing that you are not your thoughts because all of our emotions come from biological evolutionary places where we're just cavemen running from lightning bolts. And yet now anxiety in our modern world just comes into this weird thing that mixes all these relationships together. And it's like, actually what's happening to you is something physical. And if you just breathe differently, Mm. if you just indulge your senses, try to be present in the world instead of being up in your head, if you just have the knowledge that you can acknowledge a thought that may be overwhelming you and just go, that is not a fact. It's not something that I'm feeling. It's just a conversation my brain's trying to tell me that's coming from some kind of physical place. You can put that to the side and that saves you in the Mm -hmm. moment. And these Mm -hmm. are the kind of basic tools that I think every human on earth should know. Because I'm someone that is just at the absolute mercy of my mind. I bolt awake with anxiety at 4 a.m. just going like, okay, the distractions of the day over, I try not to think about things. And then you have that moment at night where the world falls away and without the distractions or anything, there's this moment where it's just you and whatever you've been pushing to the back of your mind and suddenly it goes, hi, I want to talk to you right now. And it's just terrifying. And you don't have to do that, but have you ever had sleep issues? Oh God. Yeah. So, and, and for me, it's, it's all anxiety. There's um, well, this is interesting. I was, um, I interviewed a guy named Mastin Kip and yeah. um, he's great. He talks about like the issues are in the tissues, somatic healing. And um, he said that when you get into your REM sleep, that you're sort of the somatic level and on the somatic level, mm-hmm. you can have releases. And so it wakes yep. you up. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's part of not sleeping is, is stuff that's, you know, in the body and in the fascia and stuck. So, and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily as an, as, ex, as an, as accessible as mindfulness is, but, you know, kind of just to, 
uh, elaborate on this concept that it's stuck and stored in you and it's a story yeah. and you don't need to have yeah, it physical. is that it can be very much in the physical body. So I, it's mm-hmm. mindfulness will pretty much solve it. It can solve it all, but just to show you how things are deeper and more complicated than you could expect is that yeah. like you can go and have body work done. You can have uh, tissue work and, and all of a sudden it happens to me. It happened to me the other day. I went to see my body worker and all of a sudden she's working on a spot and then she starts like pulling it through my arm and down my hand. Yep. And all of a sudden I just started crying and I'm like, like, I can't fake that. And so yeah. I just want, I say that not because it's the most accessible form of healing, but it's just to show you that it's not necessarily yours. Then we can get layers deeper and talk about like ancestral Mm -hmm. cellular memory. And that is like a whole other thing. But But even then what it shows is that mental health isn't this ephemeral thing that you can't control. Like humans, we're not that complicated. It, it, like in the book, there's exercises on mindfulness, but it also says, if you can't sleep, just try some progressive muscle relaxation. Because if you let go of some tension, you might have a profound emotional revelation. Oh my God. And you know, that's the same thing as stress and tension. I used to be a serial jaw clencher. And the moment someone was like, right, you need to like stop doing that. I need to relax your shoulders whatever I was working on that day, I was like, oh, I'm not that worried about that challenge that I need to overcome in my day now uh, because I relaxed my muscles. And it's just like, oh my God, these humans, we're all just walking around suffering all the time. There's all these things where it's like, actually get some body work and then boom, whoa, why was it so interlinked? Just breathe. breathe Like you said, like, just take, I mean, I interviewed Nicole Opera, who's the holistic psychologist, if you know who she is. And she was telling me how you can drop into the parasympathetic just simply by training yourself to breathe through your stomach. Like, so you expand Mm -hmm. your stomach Mm -hmm. instead of like being a shallow, like chest breather. And that puts you into the parasympathetic and and that she's trained herself to basically breathe like that all the time. And so it's simple, like there are little simple tricks and there are ways to sort of like shift this. Uh, What's Mm -hmm. the second part of the book about? You said there's three parts. Yes. Uh, after you have hopefully, cause I mean, the priority is in that situation totally. where you're overwhelmed. And it's like, if I'm, if I'm having a panic attack, then I need to stop, you know, people joke about, Oh, you need to hand this person a bag so they can hyperventilate. That's literally the worst thing that you could do. What you need to do is sit down and do a load of deep breaths. And then that will address so many things going on. So that's the priority. And then once you know that and you feel like you can kind of be a first responder to the difficult things you might be going through, right. then it's time to talk about lifestyle. And these are, it's it's super practical. And it's like, science has shown that if you do certain things, you will feel a certain way. Therefore, if you want to have a little science experiment, you can try out these things today. And in a few days, you might be like, this has completely changed how I think and feel on a day-to-day basis. And it goes through all the areas from activity, mm-hmm. just how everything you do makes you feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if you want to change how you feel, if you learn what makes you feel good, just do that and you can snap. And it seems so obvious. And yet people, they need to do a bit of a science experiment on themselves to be like, right, I need to learn how I work. If I move, I mean, this is, I'm just going to expose myself. I hate exercise. I just, I'm not one of those people that's very good at it. And you know what I did? I was like, I'm going to go for a run every day of the week. And I, had the worst week of my entire life. And then I asked myself, how did I feel? I'll tell you, I slept better every single day. Mm. I had less stress. I had less anxiety. And I was like, I didn't want to believe it because I personally just didn't enjoy it. But now mm-hmm. I know as a fact, if I just get a bit of movement in my day, and this doesn't have to be because a lot of people go, oh, I don't want to be a gym person. It just doesn't fit in with my life. It's just about going for a walk sometimes, yeah. walking the dog, just jump rope in the garden you can do anything and there's all these aspects of your life from food to your social life that say hey here's everything try it out see what works for you and then you've got that base level where you are supporting yourself emotionally so that psychologically where you know you've got these tools to deal with your mind if you want to start talking about trauma things that triggers you therapy that's a a much longer harder journey to go down but at least now you've got the ground floor up, which is something that to this day, I'm still trying. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote this book. I'm not doing everything in it because a lot of it's very difficult to me, but at least I know it's true. So when I'm like, oh, I have no right to feel this bad. Yeah, I know there's something I can do about it. Well, I always say that people that 
our gurus or teachers and yeah. uh, whatever it is that they're trying to help people with, it's mm-hmm. don't ever be mad when they fail because the reason why Absolutely. they're doing it is because they need it. You have to do it with the right attitude. You have to have the right mindset going into it that you're not setting yourself up for failure and then you're going to be disappointed. You are trying to challenge yourself to overcome something and you should be proud of yourself just for the effort. If you tried something and it didn't work for you, that's not a failure. You learned something and that's positive momentum. And so much about life is just about your mindset and how you perceive things and whether you let yourself get led down these rabbit holes of negativity or whether you just, you know, flip your perspective and go, actually learning opportunity. It's a challenge. It's something I can overcome. I'm on the right path. Yeah. Start to recognize those moments when you spiral, you know, it's uh, another great line by someone I interviewed, Priyanka Chopra. She said that Mm. sadness is seductive. And I was like, Oh, that's a good one. It's like, there's something about, right. Just feeling like going down that rabbit hole and looking at something on the internet. Totally. And, and really all it's doing is, is, is fulfilling sort of like a hormonal trigger loop where you just go Mm -hmm, to that place mm -hmm. that is not necessarily good for you, but it's familiar. And so our bodies are so good at being on good at being on autopilot with so many things. Our subconscious is programmed by the time we're like six, seven years old with Mm -hmm. most of the things that exist in our life, like walking and talking and also our emotional responses. So you talked about how, you know, you can get into the therapy and the other stuff. And that's also, that's Mm -hmm. really hard. And, and I want to talk about that because in my opinion, those are the roots. Like the roots are when you go to therapy in which I want to talk about therapy too, because I, I feel like. I want to normalize therapy because I feel like it's so helpful and I want to normalize personal, like solo therapy. I think there's so many people Mm -hmm, that tend mm -hmm. to go to therapy because they're in a relationship and things are breaking down, but it's like you actually can solve a lot or maybe all of the problem. If you all individually, if you individually go and work on yourself, because when you change the things you see change. And so it's not meant to be necessarily, I think, like a codependent thing, although I think it's a tool later on, but you better be doing your own work. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I think that 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 um, that the the roots work, the childhood work and (laughs) is so important. And you said it's hard. And I just want to talk about it being hard because. All I know for me is that everything that has been a great transition in my life has come from like the fires of hell. Like it is meltdown, breakdown, convulsions, like, you know, just like true, true releasing. I mean, that's all I can really call it is releasing. It's like, it's like alchemizing an old story and burning it to the ground and like a new one emerges. And yeah, you have to for something new. It's painful. I want you to talk about the pain because I, I I don't, it doesn't, yes, it's really hard, but anything that you want to achieve that's really great is going to be hard. So whether it's like a transition Mm -hmm. into a better, better place in life mentally, or whether it's achieving like a bigger bicep, like it's gonna, it should be hard or it's not working, right? It's the same. I mean, it's that whole idea that breakdowns are actually breakthroughs. Cause if you've hit a point in your life where you're at this wall and then suddenly there's this moment of confrontation within yourself that means you're finally progressing something because the natural human instinct is to run away from something difficult or painful and it's the same fear that can cause people to procrastinate anything from starting an essay if they're feeling lazy about their homework oh i don't want to do it i'm just going to play video games you're scared to start because you don't want to do this difficult thing and you're going to fail your class you're not lazy you probably care about what you're doing because you're scared about it. It's just the fear that you need to overcome. For me, it was that. And then the mental health, you know, I was like, I just, after a long day, after a really tough week, I don't want to do this hard work. I just want to chill out and watch TV. I don't want to look in the mirror and go like, what is my trauma? I must overcome it. But you have to. And I'm saying this as someone that has hit those walls a couple of times in my life where I was just like, you know what? For me, the biggest thing was my sexuality because I knew from a very young age, I was probably some kind of gay, but I grew up in a a very homophobic environment. Super macho, super aggressive. I went to an all boys school and everything about it indoctrinated me. It was this brainwashing that just said, this is something bad. 
this is something that will be bad for you. You have to just brush it under the rug. Mm. And I went through decades of my life, just deathly afraid of confronting this. And regardless of what you feel about it, it was the fact of who I am. This is who I am as a person. I was made this way and you can't hide from something like that, but trying to run from it, it just, it drained away at every single part of my life. It pulled me down into this depression. It gave me fear and paranoia of how I would be judged. I looked at myself in the mirror. I hated what I saw because I thought I was fundamentally broken. Mm. And it got to this point where in my life and career, I just felt like my life's a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. But as this person who's supposed to be this performer, I can't step on a stage. I can't turn on a camera and tell someone about my day when I know my entire life is built on this lie that I'm telling myself. And I very dramatically, I just disappeared for like a year from the internet because I was just like, I cannot even create anymore. I cannot bear to open a little notepad file and then just write a word because every part of my body was just screaming, like, you just can't do it anymore. You just can't do it. I tried, I tried, I really tried to just brush it under the rug and then it couldn't happen. And it took a year for me, not just to work out, you know, how I'm going to tell my family, how is it going to affect my career? How am I going to, because you know, the thing with coming out until we live in a world where being gay is completely uninteresting, of course, it's going to be a big deal. It's a surprise. So I was like, oh no, even if I want to be the most introverted left alone person, it's going to be this whole parade when, when I, uh, you know, have to break the news about this thing. But even my own understanding of who I was, it took months for me to just look in the mirror and be like, look, you just need to accept that you're gay. It's just a fact. So you need to learn to deal with this. (laughs) Otherwise your life, it just can't go forward. And it's that whole, you know, people don't want to go to therapy because they're like, Ooh, I'm scared. I'm going to find out there's a problem about myself. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's a good thing. Finding out that you've got an issue is a great moment. It means that when you get to the other side, Hey, yeah. What is it? What, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious and I'm sure that there are people that are here this and they're in, they're in the position that you were in. Mm -hmm. Um, like, what is it, what is it, what is it like to walk around and know that no one knows or know that no one knows for sure? And, you know, is it, uh, and, 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 you know, I'm fascinated with the idea. Do you think that they can see you? Like, are you afraid like standing on a stage is like, like, does there oh, always God, yeah. seem like there's this v- sort of like very thin veil between, you know, the facade and the truth, you know, and do you, are you afraid that maybe you'll slip up? I mean, what is it like to participate in your own reality when it's not the real thing? I think that it's actually another quite universal experience that anyone who feels like, uh, yeah, I know that my career is not working out and I need to change something or this relationship. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah. This in, could be I anything. need to make a change. Yeah, this could be but anything. A lot of this people, could you know, they, they look at gay people and they're like, that's its own thing. And it's like, actually, it's the same thing yeah. as you not wanting to have that conversation with your wife. Totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. And for me, it was not only did it feel like I couldn't form any connection, it was putting an emotional wall up between me and having anything real in my life because I wasn't letting anybody in or Mm -hmm. out. And then the fear that there was this thing that could just dissolve my entire life just meant that I felt permanently on edge. And when I say permanently, it's something that I experienced for the entirety of my life until the day I was like, okay, well, I guess I just have to clarify this one little thing that may or not be interesting. And when I say it felt like a weight lifted, it's one of, cause I'm a very, um, you know, boring, scientific grounded person. I'm not very, uh, <laughs> you know, magical with my words or this, that, and the other, but it felt like I had been wearing a suit of chain mail my entire life. And the moment I confronted the truth, not just dealt with it in the world, but actually just accepted it myself. It just instantly shed and my physical feeling in my body and perception of the entire world changed instantly. You cannot be inauthentic in your life. And it's one of the most difficult things that it's easy to say, you have to strive to be authentic in every part of your life, Uh. depending on your circumstances, you you might not be able to do that. I couldn't do it for so many years. It, It would have been great if I could have magically done it as a child. I just wasn't in the position, whether you want to change your career, change your relationship, come out or something. Sometimes you just have to bide your time, but you can't ever give up on having that moment because you know, We've all got this one life <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying as someone who's been on that whole journey and got to the other side, whatever it is, no matter how difficult it is, you got to go there. You got to accept the truth. You got to confront it. And even if it's really hard work, 
it's worth it. Yeah. Well, what you've just talked about is, you know, something that people like Brene Brown have like really brought to the table, mm. which is vulnerability. And it's <clears throat> crazy. I was having a conversation similarly about this the other day with a friend and how right you think that the things that you don't want to share and the stuff that's really tough uh, yeah. is like somehow going to break you. And then you mm -hmm. all of a sudden get to the other side of it, like emotional breakthroughs or this level of vulnerability with letting people see you and speaking your truth and living in your truth. All of a sudden you get to the other side and, and, it, and it literally is the opposite. You don't break down, you break through. And it's like yep. an, an illumination of being because you are embodying now finally who you really are. And you shed that sort of like, you know, those layers, the, the, the chains mm -hmm. or like the darkness that has to cover up the light inside, which is just who you really are. And, um, it's, uh, it, that, that is a, I, I think vulnerability is like the new tough in my mind, like totally vulnerability is totally the new tough. Thank if you can you be for saying that brave yes, enough to like, huge. yeah. Right. And so the explain, like, what was that? Like, the the feeling of because I mean yeah it it was a big deal and obviously so many people have watched your video of mm -hmm. when you told everybody uh, that you were gay and you know that but it's here's the reason I think the the vulnerability resonated people were mm -hmm. like heartfeltly glomming on to this real raw emotion and this truth and i think that truth and and vulnerability carry a frequency and an energy like we talked about at the very beginning energy it, that it resonates because if you believe in quantum physics then you believe that everything mm -hmm. is connected beyond time Literally. and space so so you can feel the truth of the message and the information mm -hmm. which is why so many people really watched it the entire issue around mental health and society's relation to it these days and the stigma about it is all about vulnerability. And especially in the UK, there's a lot of this talk about, you know, the, the snowflakes word, the idea that all these people that are talking about their feelings and they want this blah, 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 they're, they're weak and they're vulnerable. But as you said, being vulnerable requires courage because to act like you're tough and fine and to put off all your problems together, one day you're going to snap and that that's going to be weak and that's not going to be great. The hard stuff is to look inside yourself and go, this is going to be really difficult, but it's the truth. And to put it out there and to make yourself vulnerable, not only does it show that you are an incredibly strong person that's done this brave thing by confronting something that uncomfortable, but it makes you stronger because then you don't have that thing to be afraid of. So there is this fear-based perspective that all of humanity by default has that they're like, I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. I'm afraid to talk about these things. I shouldn't share this. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be judged by others when in reality, and I can say this as someone who's just felt it myself, it's the complete opposite. Yeah, That's big. I just think that that message right there is like maybe one of the most important ones because everybody's looking for relief, right? Everyone's yeah. looking for some relief, some joy, some uh, exhale, uh, some freedom. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and, and so it's, it's in that vulnerability. They are so scared to go there. So it's like to, again, kind of like therapy to normalize the fact that right on the brink of that vulnerability, which I love, mm -hmm. I think it was Brene Brown that defined vulnerability as being sharing, not sharing things, uh, that are like maybe something that people don't know, but sharing things that you're not sure you're ready to say, because otherwise you're just telling a story. So if you share, it's like that moment when you get ready to say or do something that's like, I don't know, those are, that's the one you like got to step right into because that's something that is actually a vulnerability because you're kind of not that's sure how it's going to go. Yeah. Otherwise you're just telling a story that you just maybe haven't told yet. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm great at. You know, my whole little, uh, comedy clown career was me going like, here's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. Well, what about that thing you really don't want to talk about? Ooh, not yet. Mm -hmm. And yet when I got there, it happened. And as you said, with solo therapy, everyone I know and mental health conversations about it, it's, it's come a long way even in the last five, 10 years ago, because mm -hmm. the perception of it would be like, oh, you're on anti-anxiety medication, which is completely normal. It's completely fine. So many people are doing it. That's crazy pills. Or, oh no, this person's taking a mental health day. Ooh, they're having a breakdown. And it's like, that's, that's all misinformation. It's not true. We need to have this so much better educated and less toxic perspective on this universal experience of what we all have going on in our minds. 
And even when it comes to therapy, people think I'm not completely having a breakdown. My life isn't a complete mess. I don't think I'm this walking, talking, traumatized person. I don't need therapy. Every single human on earth needs therapy because when you talk and it, it doesn't, what it is when you're breaking it down is you're actually just being honest about your thinking and feeling with someone who's there to talk back to you. Like me in the YouTube comments, the people giving me that perspective. It's just someone going like, okay, I'm going to tell you what you are and what's happening and saying, and you just have these profound realizations. And I don't want people to think mental health, books, podcasts, anything about it. It's not for me because I'm not at that place yet. It's, we are all at that place all of the time. Yeah. You cannot see it as something to cure when you've already snapped. It's something that you need to prevent by knowing this stuff and keeping yourself healthy and happy yeah. and afloat the whole time. Yeah. So you're absolutely right with that. I, I would make it, if I was an evil dictator, that's actually not evil. I would just force every human on earth to have an hour of therapy a week. And that'd be like, no more war. It would be great. I think you're actually right. Call it therapy, call it meditation. I don't give a crap what you call it, but like any same thing, couple yeah. of like mindful activities and things to face yourself. Like, cause again, the therapist is just showing you, you, uh, which is like, uh, traumatizing. Cause you're like, Oh, that's me. And then you're like, also like, <laughs> Oh, that's, oh, me. that's me. I mean, that's, <laughs> right. I mean, that's, uh, um, so what is the third part of the book about? It goes, all into that hard stuff. So it's um, like, hey, therapy, um, yeah, it's gonna be long, it's gonna be hard. It may even be hard to access, depending on where you are in the world, how much money you have, this, that, and the other, because that's the whole thing. You know, medication, love it. For some people, it's a privilege that they can even be medicated to get them through a tough time. And it's that thing where here's the knowledge, you got to apply it to your own life. It's about looking in and trying to just analyze how do you see the world? What are the experiences that shaped you? How do you react to your own emotions? How do you react to other people? What do you expect from situations in the present and the future based on things that have happened to you in the past? And trying to recognize these things and go, actually, have I been taught lessons about how the world works because of something that happened to me as a child or even something recently? And therefore, I'm going forward with these expectations that are actually super destructive and holding me back in life. And this is the kind of stuff that it can take you years to just know who you are, to unpack something that may have come from a past trauma, which is why, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, do this when you're, when you're in the better place. And so much of it's just your mindset. If you think that you have this fixed mindset that you are built a certain way, you can't change, you expect certain things, that's what your life's going to be. It's going to be the same. If you go through life with a mindset trying to grow and challenge yourself and be open to new perspectives and experiences, then not only might you surprise yourself by what you find, but you can just have a completely different perception of failure and attempting something and what's the point of doing anything at all. Mm -hmm. And that for me was one of those light bulb moments where I was like, yeah, okay, my mindset's pretty terrible. I kind of, I manifest negativity everywhere I go because I'm putting it in front of me like a carrot on a stick. If I reframe my thoughts, not to believe in sunshine and roses and that everything's always going to be fine. You can't be toxically positive by just saying, just believe and everything will be fine. You need to be realistic but you need to be optimistic to give yourself hope and that positive momentum in order to see it. Because this is the most difficult thing for me as someone who's so cynical and has dealt with self-hatred. But if you practice self-gratitude, if you look around at the world and be thankful for the things that you have, if you allow yourself to be proud of yourself for the things that you're good at and the things that you do, that will actually make you better as a person, as a friend, in your career and it's tough for me you know as this, as this british guy i'm like no don't let the positivity in oh it's gonna make me weak but actually <laughs> it's just the truth and it makes you more efficient so you can struggle as much as you want but realistic optimism it's actually the best way to go well said are you i know that at the beginning you were talking about your you know your your humor being self-deprecating humor that is kind of like hiding in plain sight, hiding issues in plain sight that you just don't really want to deal with. And you kind of, you know, you steal someone's ability to sort of go there because you called it out first, right? You kind of like, okay, can we go now? Um, kind of thing to the issues. So is there, I'm curious, like you're writing a book and, and um, you know, 
is there a transition for you uh, with your career and the things that you do that you're really excited about that have come on the heels of, uh, you know, the, the work that you've done and the opportunities that you have now? And or is there some la- level of like, look, I have now disarmed all of the jokes because people know they're real or, you know, you know, like, or I've just healed so much. I don't have as much to self-deprecate about. So maybe is there some kind of transition that's just happening, some kind of alchemy in your own being because of healing? 100% comedy and tragedy. It's that horseshoe curve where eventually their butts touch at the bottom (laughs) because really something's only funny because it's wrong and therefore there's a contrast and there's humor. And really every single joke, there's a butt of the joke. And for me, that was that was always myself. And it's, as I said, only, only because I am an entertainer, I'm putting things out there and I'd meet people after a show and they'd go, hey, you did that thing. Here's my reflection of it. Did I realize there's, there's another step here? Because as much as I wanted to keep it professional and silly and just funny and not go to that deep, dark place, someone would tell me whether you like it or not, that resonated it with me this way. So that's the power that you have. And really that's the power that all of us have to share our stories and to connect to other people. And as time went on, definitely, cause like the book, it's not a comedy book. It's a serious book about how to sort your life out. I am here as the guy that is writing it in a funny way, using myself as that, you know, punching bag. I'm like the mental health martyr. Anything that you think, I've, I've got a great example of how I wasn't doing that to say, yes, this will start the conversation by making you feel less weird. If I can make that joke to open the door, to break that barrier down for you, and then there's a truth behind, that's fine. You talk about healing. I'm not completely healed. I know what my problems are. And that's half of the journey. (laughs) Like, regardless of whether I I wrote the book, regardless of whether I've been on any journey, I I, I still need to to work on the issues. So I don't think I'm going to be completely strapped for comedy material for the rest of time. But... I think joking about these things is okay as an icebreaker to start the conversation and to most importantly, make people know that they're not alone in their experience. Because if someone's joking about something, you're like, ah, you can't joke about depression, be serious. It's like, well, at least this person is acknowledging it and someone else is seeing an example of someone else going through that. Mm -hmm. What you can't do is just leave it at that. Once you've shone a light on something, you go, okay. (laughs) And now the hard part. Mm -hmm. Is that why you're writing the book? Do you feel oh yeah feel like a call? I mean, sort of, or is it part of the therapy? I am writing the book because it's the thing that I wish I could have read ten or fifteen years ago. Because I could have just written a book of funny stories about Dan's life, <laughs> and that would have been easy for me, and it, it would it would have been fun. It'd be a lot more self indulgent. But I was like, no, actually. I'm going to I'm going to do this for myself in the present and I'm going to do it for all the people like me that I know are out there that maybe I can they they might not have to go through 10 years of questioning and suffering and just banging the head against the wall if we just put it all out there. So I hope that you know if I can give back in any way you you talk about what's going to make you feel proud in life what makes you what are you most proud of and for me it's the no matter what I like to self-doubt about or think about the meaninglessness of the universe, even the lightest entertainment that I've ever done, if it's made someone just feel better or crack a smile on a really bad day, then that's like, hey, I can't even deny that I've done something good. <laughs> and I need that. I, I need I need irrefutable proof that no matter what, I, I, I cannot say no to it. And it's just, you know, at the end of the day, if all of this has been for something, sure. I'll allow myself to enjoy that feeling because there's no time for altruism here. Okay. When we're not doing good things and then trying to be all pious about it, go, no, if you're, if you're a good person, if you do good things, if you make the people in your life feel good and that makes you feel good, that's how things are supposed to be. That's it. I I was just, that was literally the last thing I was going to ask you what you're most proud of. Uh, and you just said it. So thank you. Thank you. You, um, your, this will be a really big deal that you're taking, um, this time and opening yourself up more into more vulnerability. Um, even if it's into just like a serious space instead of being funny, 
right? I think there's some level of vulnerability of going, no, I'm serious. I know you said, I'm serious. I could be right. Like there's like some aspect I, of like, ironically, I'm quite stressed and anxious about this book being out there. Cause there's so much of me in it. It feels <laughs> like I'm like, Oh, am I, am I, am I really about to put it this out there into the world? But I, you know, just have to remind myself of why and what it's for. So yeah, well done. hopefully it's a good idea. Thank you. Well done. Oh, um, uh, so have you been to the States very much? Uh, yeah, yeah, I go there for well, you know, I used to. Now I don't really leave the house, but hopefully <laughs> we'll all be right. highly vaccinated soon. It's all going to be great. Right, right. Well, I li- I was I was just going to finish up. Like I lived in England for a few years, and I was going to oh, amazing. You know, ask what your favorite British meal is. I mean, my favorite British meal is a chicken tikka masala because the best British food is the food that the Indian population of the UK. I mean, come on, we know know what British food is. It's all very beige. And thankfully, uh, the multiculturalism has really helped us out a bit here. So, yeah, (laughs) I want to say thank you to the Italian family down the street. Thank you for the good food. All right. Well, enjoy your tikka masala and um, thank you so much and congratulations and um, keep um, keep facing yourself and we'll keep Mm -hmm. showing you who you are, which is like a super beautiful, vulnerable, wonderful, hilarious, witty British man. Well, thank you for saying that because I would literally never believe it. <laughs> thank you for having me as well on something that's that's so inspiring. And the fact that you use your time to have all these conversations, mm-hmm. it must really be so transformational for so many people. So I'm proud of you as well. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.